Hey, when we started this podcast on January 5th, 2020, never thought that we would have the acclaim that we have and touch the lives that we have. It has been such a blessing. And we could not have the achievements or couldn't even stay on the air without you. I want to thank you so much and ask you today to partner with us here on Moments of Grace. You can come in at any level. And when you do, I'll send you my latest book, Managing the Miracle. And I want to thank you in advance for being a partner of Moments of Grace. This is your host, Dr. Adrian Butler, and welcome to A Moment of Grace. This is a, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We want to thank you so much for being with us here on Moments of Grace. Those of you that have been with us for this last year, this um, this inaugural year, I want to tell you personally, thank you so much for all that we have accomplished. We could not have accomplished it without you. But there's also a reality, you know, as we look at this year, we've had a lot of trauma, a lot of crisis. Uh, as we look at Christmas time, there are unfortunately, really, uh, there are empty chairs at the, at the dinner table for Thanksgiving, empty chairs at the dinner table. Some of you may have had loved ones you could not see because they were in the hospital or maybe in a, in a, a nursing home. And some of you, unfortunately, may have uh, made a decision to um, get into substance abuse while all of this is going on. My guest today is um, a, a well-known authority, Scott Silverman, in trauma and substance abuse. And we'd like to thank you, Scott, for coming to Moments of Grace. Well, thank you. It's really nice to be here and happy holidays to you. And, and you know, this will probably be coming out later in 2021. But, uh, you know, we are in that season right now where the stress levels are high and uh, accelerated substance abuse is taking place around us. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Um, so, Scott, introduce yourself. I know you've done uh, a lot of things. You, you've been in a lot of um, uh, media platforms and and. Uh, been plugged into a lot so would you share with the audience uh, a little bit about yourself before we start our conversation sure well scott h silverman is my name i like to put my middle initial in there because there's a, another scott h silverman in japan and he gets my stuff and he gets really upset with me because he does nothing like what i do yeah. and that's how people can google me and find me and i always like to throw my phone number out there at 619 nine nine three two seven three eight and i'm one of the few people publicly said call me i dare you text me i dare you doesn't matter where you are in the world make it happen yourcrisiscoach.com is my website so um, i'm a guy in long-term recovery and uh what that means to me is i haven't had a drink or a drug in the last 36 years as of the 13th of november 2020 thank you and i you know I, i've just done that you know working my program one day at a time and that's what it that's what it takes and i'm i'm lucky now that i get to you know work with others i run a uh, outpatient program called confidential recovery here in san diego and i grew up here in san diego my family's here in san diego california and i focus each day on how i can better serve those of need and i'm excited about 
you know, getting up each morning and I, I'm one of those people when my phone rings and I don't see a number I recognize, I get excited because it might be a family I can help. I'm a crisis coach, I'm a family navigator. And what that means to me is I do everything I can to help anybody who calls me find the best and highest level of care and support. And between substance abuse, substance use disorders, addiction, untreated trauma, uh, behavioral health issues, depression, anxiety, and of course, suicide, which unfortunately continues to accelerate as well in our country. I want to be a resource for creating systemic change. And more importantly, I want to help reduce the stigma around what goes on with accessing treatment. So that's kind of who I am. I'm married to my wife, Michelle, a little over uh, 38 years now. And I um, have two daughters, one in their 20s, one in their early 30s. I, again, I'm, you know, just one of those guys that just puts one foot in front of the other and tries to be of service on a daily basis. That's kind of who I am, what I do. So with that, I'll throw it back to you and, and uh, hopefully find the, the easy questions come first. Well, I'm sorry, you. Uh, I'm 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 not uh, not not uh, one of the uh, softball guys. So we're gonna throw the hard questions at you because that's how we get get to uh, real answers and get people healed. Bring it. Um, during this this um, during the p- pandemic, I know a lot of anxiety has has risen. Have you yourself personally? Um, you you gave your number out, and like I said, you're all over. Um, all over media and and, and again we uh, want to thank you for being here with us on moments of grace um have you seen a rise in in calls and people contacting you during this this season you know it, it, yes is is the easy answer and what's fascinating is the whole world of recovery you know the traditional recovery the social model where people you know go to a meeting right. and sit with others and listen to their stories and um practice being with others and you know kind of sharing their experience strength and hope that that shifted uh to zoom mostly zoom right. and phone calls and telephone conversations and i think that's happened in the world across the board that right. what's fascinating though and i don't think there's any studies around this not yet anyway that not having that social contact has become a real issue for people not only in early recovery but in recovery and for those who are seeking recovery so yes to your question it's been really interesting it's been precarious for many Uh, we've seen a huge amount of relapse not only personally have i had my own program attendance but also in my business as an interventionist and as a treatment provider so that's continued to go and to grow suicide is up significantly in this country the alcohol industry has has touted the fact that alcohol consumption is up 60 percent in 2020 60 percent that is significant significant. you know and somebody who maybe had a a drinking hobby right may have accelerated and amplified and gotten into a drinking um, abuse problem and potentially for someone who's got an addiction behind substance use disorders it's accelerated as well because right now the opportunity to say look i don't want to go to treatment because i don't want to catch the covid exactly. it makes sense mm-hmm. but you know and i i just had a family two weeks ago call me about a youngster that you know in their 20s and has a o- opioid problem mostly with heroin and they said you know we don't want our son to go to treatment because we're concerned he'd get the virus mm-hmm. and i said what is his feeling she says well that was his thought thinking we're just repeating it and so she said what do you think i said well if you're telling me your son is shooting heroin in his wow. bedroom 
right. and he doesn't want to go to treatment because he's concerned <laughs> about a virus, I would say that may be more of excuse making, you know, barrier than it would be a true tale. Now, you know, I, I'm not inside their head. Right. I'm not inside his head, but I Could just find the, the irony of that. It's kind of like, right, right. you know, I need to drink, but please don't put up sobriety checkpoints because that really hampers my ability to get home. <laughs> right. so, and and for that young man, the, um, the onus of let me sit here and, and kill myself in, in, in your house rather than to take a chance and get clean. Uh, again, exactly. uh, just just kind of kind of excuses. Again, we don't know the young man's head and, and all of that, and his um, his concern could have been valid. But at the same time, um, he's he doesn't have a six month supply of heroin in the house, so he's going to get it somewhere. And ninety five percent of the times, uh, he's going into some place that is not wearing a mask into a an environment that is is not socially distanced and all of that so um i would i would say you know i'm not judging but i would say not not a valid point you 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 probably need to go to tree retreat well you know and the thing that's interesting you know we're in california uber brings everything to you, you know? oh wow okay so, you know and okay. When, when marijuana became legal last year I think it was last year it's gone by so quickly um you know that was a big issue with uber and lyft because they were making deliveries uh on behalf of the uh you know marijuana shops wow. so you're right you're absolutely right and not only that whatever you're touching has obviously been touched by somebody else and probably in the most recent uh past so yeah it's a it's a good excuse but it's not a it, you know for the family but my pushback is simply look to to your point that if somebody needs help there's help out there i mean right. we do mask to mask we call them classes now at night and we're also doing telehealth which is a mechanism you know using zoom a secure confidential mechanism and you know the nice thing about that is you can sit there in a mood and just like the meetings the anonymous meetings today you can sit there in a meeting you don't have to show your face you, you, you put your microphone on mute but you could be part of something so i personally believe that having this transformational change in how people access recovery, I think it's a good thing. Over time, you know, we'll get back to the regular, you know, in-person meetings, right. just like work. I mean, people have gone virtual in every you know, part of the world and the industries, but it allows us to at least stay connected. And, you know, I'm ADHD, still, you know, have that as part of my diagnosis. And I'm, you know, looking at 50 people on a screen. Um, for me, it's kind of it's kind of cool. You know, watching that many people and looking into people's, you know, boy, that room is messy. Boy, that kitchen needs to be cleaned up, you know. So for me, I get distracted. A little OCD. Yeah, a little OCD as well. So, uh, you know, but it, but the, the environment's changed for everybody for everything. So yes. it's not like, you know, we're some special culture that needs to have special things taken care of. And the fact that at least we have access to treatment uh, virtually and also recovery more so uh, virtually is a, it's just a great outcome. Of, of this travesty that we're all living through with the pandemic and I, you know if this pandemic's going to go on for a long time and if you have underlying issues you're you're going to minimize your time out of the house if you're low, able to do it so you know it is it is i've never been you know i'm 66 i've never seen anything like this where we we've had to make these major shifts right, and right. everyone's impacted by this if not fiscally financially physically emotionally um from a relationship perspective uh, everything's changing whether we like it or not and, and so you know if you're gonna practice any kind of self-care a lot of it's just acceptance right now right right well well this is what i like to do scott if we can i like to take a 
small break. And when we come back, we want to continue our discussion. Uh, I want to talk with you when we come back. So if you can just think about this. Um, when I was in the military, I was a functioning alcoholic. And I would imagine right now, this is, um, a, a, you know, uh, some of the signs that were there. I, I didn't have people to challenge me because of my position. Um, at the same time, and I say functioning, um, you know, I ran PT, I did all of that. But at the same time, I was not at my best, of course, you know, being having um, alcohol in my, in my system. So when we come back, um, I'd like for you, if you can, if you have some um, keys to, uh, you know, to, to share with families and share with the audience, when they see a loved one that may have increased some of those uh, abuse, you know, like you said, they may have been a casual drinker, now they're abusing, uh, they may have been a social user, and now they're abusing some of the keys that they can look for that will will probably help them and 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 how to approach them because again um i had no one in my sphere of influence that uh you know i'm a pretty big guy not 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 really mean well i was then i was in the military i had to had to be a certain way but uh i had no one absolutely no one from my wife to uh guys that worked to me for me and my peers um that would approach me so um, maybe some keys on how to approach somebody that um, is, is in that substance abuse bubble and uh, how to pop that and, and bring them, uh, get them some help. Okay. Sounds great. I'm All here. right. This is your host, Dr. Adrian Butler. We're talking with Scott Silverman. Scott H. Silverman. We don't want the gentleman stuff. And uh, Scott is, deals with substance abuse um, also helps to identify uh, and help people that are in crisis. So when we come back, we're going to have a discussion about a functioning alcoholic, uh, and especially during uh, COVID, how to approach that person and, and maybe even how to get that person some help. And we'll be right back after these messages. There is an estimated half a million men, women, and children that are homeless in our country and this great nation each night. Statistics show the number one reason for homelessness is affordable housing. Dr. Butler and his family have started the Grace Project. It is a plan to build clean, affordable homes that will help get these families off of the street. They would love for you to partner with them by donating to this show, where 100% of the proceeds will go to the Grace Project. When you partner with the Grace Project in any dollar amount, you will receive Dr. Butler's latest book. To give, please go to momentspod.com or anchor.fm forward slash moments of grace and hit support. Thank you in advance from the Grace Project. And we're back. This is your host, Dr. Adrian Butler. And 
You remember that old song said, help, I need somebody. Help, just anybody. Help. I think it was the old Beatles song. Well, that's for, that song is an anthem for somebody that's in crisis. It's an anthem for somebody that uh, may be going through trepidation of being um, cut off from the world right now, cut off from family members, or they may be around family members and not taking change very well. Um, before the break, Scott was sharing with us some uh, some keys, and we were we were, again throwing kind of a, a I don't know if it's a hard question at him. He's he's been doing this for quite some time, but using a diagnosis of myself, you know, I was a functioning alcoholic in the military. Uh, unfortunately, I had no one in my uh, none of my peers and no one in my sphere of influence that uh, would approach me and let me know, you know, Sarge, it, it, you know, you may need to get some help. So, Scott, welcome back to Moments of Grace. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Well, good to have you, my friend. So again, you know, uh, you you shared the scenario of a young man that's that's on heroin in his parents' room in there and in his room and in their house and the excuse that he may have given of not want to go to treatment. But how do you address somebody that uh, you know has a problem and um, uh, is functioning in their mind? Um, what would you tell family members, friends, how to get this person some help? Some help? Yeah, you know, you write about the Beatles song, and I got to tell you, my new book's coming out next year. Uh, it's called it's called the Opioid Epidemic, and one of the things I talk a lot about in the book is the three hardest words to say out loud in the English language is "I need help." Yeah, yeah, I That's need true. help. I agree. And once an individual is able to either articulate that verbally. Um, or express it in a different way or another way to somebody else, there's a really, you know, there's always hope and help, I believe that. But once an individual, you know, flips that switch, you know, doing nothing, but just flipping that switch. So here, here's what I advise families. First of all, uh, I believe that God has given each, each of us two ears and one mouth. And I really highly recommend, su su suggest firmly that families listen and listen differently when they make the points they want to make with loved ones and try to frame whatever they can in form of a question. Okay. And, and after they've tried to do that, they let the individual know that and personalize it. I'm scared. I'm concerned. I'm worried. I don't want to lose you. And when it I come, push comes to shove, the statement I put in people's hands is to tell your loved one I don't want to go to your funeral. And, and, but when you say that, don't follow up with the list of why you don't want to go, mm -hmm. but just say that, just share the thought, try to speak in what's called a sound bite. Like I love you very much and I don't want to lose you. And then be quiet because if someone, if you're close enough to someone, I don't care who they are, and that doesn't matter what level of consumption they're at, you know, but the, the functioning alcoholic, because I was one of those, I mean, people said, well, you can't stop. Mm -hmm. Let me try. And I did. And I just substituted with cocaine, but I gave up alcohol. And, you know, for an individual who struggles with the allergy of, you know, mood altering substances or actually has the addiction, according to science, 15% of us do. Mm -hmm. And we, the 15%, will impact, listen to this, seven people negatively every day. Wow. 
So you do the math, that's 85% of our population that's being impacted by substance use disorders, addiction, mood altering, self-medicating, untreated trauma. And, and again, that's the factoid around, you know, putting, I call it anesthesia in your body. When you factor in all the other mental health issues that people just organically experience, whether it's, you know, through some catastrophic event, uh, PTSD, a lot of people in the military. And by the way, thank you for your service. That's, uh, you know, I, I was, when I turned 18, that was the year that the draft and I, my number was, I think 57 or something. So I was going, but they discontinued it because the war was ending or the need for soldiers was ending. So I got very, very lucky because I was, you know, the low number and you know, at low numbers you were going. Right. And by the way, you know, confidential recovery, um, we are in network now and working with veterans. It's very exciting for me. My colleague who happens to run the operations, Jay, is also a veteran and he, I'm not a veteran, but he's a veteran and we're working with veterans now. And it took me two years to get into this portal and San Diego's, I think, the third largest city in the country serving mm -hmm. veterans. So right. it's uh, it's an honor to be able to do that. And we work very closely right now with the VA and we're ramping up our staffing. And, you know, we're uh, there's a lot of people out there suffering right now. And you speak about untreated trauma because Confidential Recovery originally was created to work with first responders. That was going to be our niche. And I didn't, you know, didn't realize until about three years ago, about 35% of first responders sworn law enforcement are veterans so you know there's a the dual opportunity to have those relationships because not many people trust anybody outside of their own you know their own fellowship whatever that might be defined as so we try to bring down those barriers reduce that stigma and really help people so back to the family so that part about listening and then sharing how you feel because anytime you know that finger comes up the pointy finger the shame-based conversation you know you put that drink down you, you won't have a drinking problem well that's not really true for somebody who has a disease or an addiction because it's just like diabetes it's a disease right and if you understand that you can approach the person much differently because if somebody had symptoms of diabetes first of all everyone in the family would look it up online everyone would come up with ideas suggestions and ways to get help but the important thing is you'd probably get to your doctor right away you'd get your assessment diagnosis and then you start your treatment check your blood sugar level get your insulin in your body and move your life forward and guess what treatment for alcoholism treatment for substance use disorders it's the same you go in you get an assessment do the intake, you get into treatment, and then you work on your recovery. And you can work in recovery and you can have a great life without mood altering substances. I know, I believe I have. So if, if I can do it, anyone can do it. So the secondary piece for the family is know that they truly do have a disease and they're not making the decision to wake up in the morning every day to That's try right, to take right. their own life or hurt yours. Right, right. And, and it's hard for families because they get angry, they get frustrated, they get fed up. And I know this because as a crisis coach for years, decades now, I've been getting phone calls from families, you know, Johnny won't listen. Well, if Johnny's under the influence of something mood altering, he's not going to listen. Exactly. What do I do? Well, wait for them next day when Johnny wakes up, have a sit down family meeting if you want, go to a ball game, you know, or watch a movie. And while you're doing that, start the conversation. Okay. And the conversation starting simply is, 
I'm scared. I'm frightened. I don't know what to do. I'm hurting, and I know you are as well. Can we talk? And you just listen as much as you can, because from the listening, you'll know which way to go next in the conversation. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it did. Thank you so much. Uh, again, like I said, hard, hard, hardball questions, and, and you don't have to answer, but I'm just bringing this up. It is, I know in this last um, um, four or five, five opioid, opioid epidemic has really um, risen to a national level um, where, you know, money is, has been available, treatment is, is available. Um, and I'm just being honest with you. We, we, we're talking, Scott. Uh, I like to conversate. There's a lot of issue in the African-American community that when opioids came to the level that it seems like most Caucasians started using, that the government brought up um, a lot more money. Uh, when the epidemic was cracked in the African-American community, not a lot of people touched it. I don't know what you've been doing substance abuse for years. Do did you see a big change in how um, money and treatment is being dispersed between opiate and the crack addiction? Um, the, the 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 time the time frame between opiate and crack. Well, let's go back a little little bit in history with with the crack issue because to me, you know, that was um, to your point, it was in the minority centers of the communities the crack was because it was inexpensive anybody could make it uh, it was easily to get a hold of and then you know the criminal justice system changed and said if you're caught with you know crack or cocaine you're going to go away for 5 10 15 20 25 years maybe life if you had a large enough quantity but let's keep let's keep in mind not cocaine because the same the same punishment was not because again uh, it was geared towards the minority community. And again, like I said, it's, um, uh, as we well know, um, you know, uh, the, the, the base substance was flooded by the government. It is not, it's not, this is not any conspiracy theory or anything else. So uh, you can go on and pick up there. there. Okay. Well, when I when I use the word cocaine, because crack is kind of made from cocaine. Yeah, it is. They used to say, because I can remember methamphetamine. You know, I was a I'm a retired unlicensed pharmacist, and my uh, product of distribution was methamphetamine because methamphetamine in San Diego was easy to get a hold of, easy to make, but it was being made in Mexico and still continues to be made in Mexico in the super labs. So when I use the word cocaine, you know, it used to be, they used to call crack the poor man's, you know, cocaine, and they used to call cocaine the rich person's cocaine. Like, and right, I can right. remember giving an interesting analogy that Narcotics Anonymous, you know, I'm not supposed to say that, but you know, I don't care, uh, is an anonymous program. And it was created for people who, you know, didn't drink, but they right. did heroin or right. methamphetamine. Right. And then the industry, uh, the, mostly the entertainment industry, music industry, you know, they were, there was a little bit of narcissism there. They said, you know, we don't want to be at those meetings with those people. Right. So that's kind of how Cocaine Anonymous got created. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so, you know, to me, the, the ego around ego around it, because it's true, obviously, if you have if you have access to different disposable income, you're going to think about spending more money for something you think will get you higher. But to your point, though, fentanyl today, OK, fentanyl, which is 
more popular than even heroin is now because fentanyl could be made in a garage just like methamphetamine and you know with cocaine you've got to grow it you've got to process it right you've got to export it then you've got to import it then you've got to distribute it and it's expensive to do that hmm. but fentanyl can be purchased on the dark web hopefully i'm not giving anybody any ideas and the dark web you can use you know electronic money to purchase so there's no real trail trace right so what's happening is young people are manufacturing fentanyl and fentanyl is being put into counterfeit medication i.e xanax and other medication and it's being disguised and what's happening is you're hearing about these folks who accidentally overdose and what it is they're, they're called skittle parties they've been around a couple of years now so you know if you and i were going to a party as a kid you know we go in we take some stuff out of our pocket we put it in a bowl and then at a certain time the bell would ring metaphorically speaking and everyone would go back to the bowl and grab something out of it well it, and that's what's happening and we're that's why we're hearing about these you know college parties high school parties young people's parties you know adult parties they go and they grab something out of a bowl they have no idea what they're taking and it's counterfeit medication somebody manufactured something and usually put fentanyl in it. the problem is fentanyl is 100 times stronger than heroin so if you're weak susceptible or something else is going on it, it can kill you right but that's right. why we're seeing this morbidity rate continue to grow san diego 3.3 million to, uh, people in our community we have three people a day according wow. to the medical examiner just exposed uh, or disposed that information in a report three weeks ago three a day overdosing just from wow. opioids just wow. in san diego and you know san diego 50 percent of the people arrested have met methamphetamine in their in their system so methamphetamine is still probably the drug of choice other than right. marijuana right. and it's listen to this 10 years ago you could buy a pound of methamphetamine for approximately eleven thousand dollars 10 years ago okay now that same methamphetamine which is about 10 times stronger is only eleven hundred dollars wow used to be eleven thousand now it's only you know roughly eleven hundred bucks for a pound yeah. so the production's gone up which means the cost has gone down and the quality or if you will the potency has gone way i mean my old days i'd call it quality because i wanted the quality drugs but that's a real problem because what that means is for the same person doing what i did in quantity they're taking something in that's at least 10 times stronger and marijuana is a minimum of 20 times stronger so the young people that are taking drugs today you know it's not like you know in our day when we were smoking marijuana it was like hemp it was like rope so exactly. those are part of the contributing factors right now that scare me because you can't make a decision under peer pressure about what you're about to take out of that bowl mm -hmm. and know that it may or may not kill you so that judgment call is important and that's why I, you know when i talk to families and i talk to addicts who are actively using and abusing we talk about that and make informed decisions because people are going to party i mean i don't want people not to party people right. are going to go to special events and you know college is one of those big days that they do that i mean i did a lot of my drinking around the college campus and was selling my product at all the uh, fraternity parties gotcha. so gotcha. i get the culture and i understand it and i you know my first book's called tell me no i dare you i don't like telling anyone no i want to just kind of give them a couple of ideas to maybe hopefully make the best informed decision not even the best decision the best informed decision because who am i to judge i mean who am i to judge well you, well um someone that purchased your book uh scott what is your 
what is your intent that when they walk away from me um what is your 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 thought process they should have once they walk away from reading your book well the, the first book i wrote has been out for a little while and i hope what they get is called tell me no i dare you and you can get that on my my website just let me know i've got the inventory at yourcrisiscoach.com and i'll find a way to sign it send it to you if, if you if you'd like after you pay for it of course and the book is about getting to yes that's what it's about tell me no i dare you it's about how to get to yes so it talks about peer pressure that talks about stories of people i've worked with and i've served and my second book that's coming out in uh, 2021 hopefully the first quarter is about um the opioid epidemic and, it, and it's a lot of stories from families that have contributed um i've got the da I've quoted people from the dea uh treatment providers families who have lost loved ones telling their stories about you know exactly what i just described at a party first time grabbed a, a pill um thinking it was something else and you know they were on you know they were on some sort of a you know prescribed medication like maybe an antidepressant anti-anxiety medication which a lot of young people are on today mm -hmm. and those two things mixed together basically uh caused him to stop breathing wow. so you know i'm hoping that what the book will do is educate and help create you know the reduction of, of, of stigma mm -hmm. and create an opportunity to to actually really bring in reducing and creating i'm sorry creating systemic change it's really the goal so creating systemic change reducing the stigma and helping families get access to treatment those are the three key, three key things that i want to do the rest of my life and help others to do it and you know i'm lucky my wife um, supports that and my kids understand it and most of the people that I'm engaged with are what I call passionate stakeholders, and they want to be part of something like that. And that's something I can do every day, but that's okay. I do that. That's my job. That's what I do. So that's why I tell families, don't do this on your own. I mean, right, if you had right. a broken, if you had a broken engine or something in your engine broke, you, 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 right, you wouldn't, right. you know, you'd go on YouTube maybe to try to fix it. But if, the, right, right. if YouTube said, look, sounds like you've got yourself a you know, seized up cylinder you're going to call an expert exactly. and that's what I want people to do. There's experts all over the country. And if you don't know how to find them, call me 619-993-2738 and I'll help you navigate whatever terrain you're on to help you get to the highest and best level of care that you can seek and find for. Well, that's great. Um, Scott, this has been a, um, um, it's been very good. I appreciate you coming on Moments of Grace. Uh, you, you've given out your, your phone number, but tell people how they can get your books and also how they can contact you beyond your phone number. Well, you can always uh, go to my website, uh, yourcrisiscoach.com. You can always, you know, Google me, Scott H. Silverman, S-I-L-V-E-R-M-A-N. Call me, text me, 619-993-2738. And anywhere on social media, from Instagram to LinkedIn to Facebook, you can find me there as well. And um, I, I look forward to uh, having a conversation with you. You know, I'm, I'm giving away free coaching between now and the end of the year. So this will this will probably come out after the first year. But, you know, I, I work out terms and conditions. And that's what I do as a life coach is I help people. And if you've got a crisis, that's my specialty. And if you want to, to believe there's hope and help and you're not sure how to get it, let's talk about it because I know it's out there. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you once again, um, Scott H. Silverman. <laughs> we appreciate you coming on, on Moments of Grace. And um, very, um, you, you know, I, I, I love your passion. And I always say passion produces more. Uh, we 
the things that we're passionate about, um, they should be there to help others. And we shouldn't just be passionate about things that that are ourselves, you know, whether it's a, a great painter, even though he may start out painting for himself, others will be abstract voyeurs and love his art. Um, same thing with a, a musician and anyone else. So uh, your passion to help people uh, is commendable. Um, you also know what you're talking about because you've been there. there. So if you don't mind, give us one more time uh, your phone number, Scott. Scott. Thank you. Uh, area code 619-993-2738. 619-993-2738. Scott H. Silverman, Google me. YourCrisisCoach.com. Come to my website. I can arrange getting you a book if you'd like to purchase it in Q1 of 2021. The new book will be coming out, The Opioids. It's called The Opioid Epidemic. And it's all about what, what real-time uh, experiences people are currently having with opioids. And But again, a strong reminder throughout the new book is there is hope and hope. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about it and helping reduce the stigma. Amen. Thank you so much for coming on with us, Scott. Uh, we've been talking with Scott Scotty H. Silverman. And as you, as I said earlier, you can hear the passion in his voice, the the desire to see people live longer. Longer. Um, there is a, uh, you know, if you had a respirator, that respirator is there to help you breathe. If you uh, we're on life support and life support is to help you continue to live longer. And Scott is placed here with a purpose to help people that are in crisis, to help people that are addicted to live longer and live a quality of life. Please, if you are in crisis, if you have a family members in crisis, please contact uh, Scott. He's given his phone number out three, three times, as well as his book and his latest book that's due to come out. He's here to help you. You don't stay in pain alone. There is help out there. And with that said, we are so happy that you you were here with us on Moments of Grace. Um, remember, uh, we'll see you next time here on Moments of Grace. We, we love you and love yourself. Every now and then, you have to love on yourself on yourself, and just know that you were created for a beautiful purpose. Don't allow anything and anybody to, to draw you into a place where an abyss emotionally where you will not survive. And you can get through this, but you need help. Again, we love you. Remember, love God, love life. Keep the light on. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time.